Hello and welcome back to the Eclipse Nation podcast. I'm your host, Sabrina Merchant. Today, I had the opportunity to go on the Sun's Jam Session, a podcast hosted by Bright Side of the Sun, our sister site at SB Nation covering the Phoenix Suns. We spent about an hour live streaming talking about the Western Conference Finals, all things Clippers and Suns dating back to their 2006 meeting in the playoffs, what it's like to be a fan of these teams, and a bunch of other fun stuff. I'm going to link to that conversation for our podcast today. Hope you enjoy. So welcome once again to the Suns Jam Session podcast to Sabrina Merchant, who is joining us from the beautiful city of Chandler, Arizona. (laughs) Sabrina, how are you? And welcome back to the podcast. It's great to see you again. I am so hyped after seeing that Cedric Savalas blind man's bluff dunk. I cannot tell you how enjoyable that introduction was. Those are the highlights of Phoenix Suns moments right there. I do apologize, too. Did you have a beverage with you? Sometimes you we know, forget I, to ask our guests. I only have water in front of me, so I feel like okay. I'm very That's usually out, me. But... That's usually me just, just hydrating. But uh, I brought a beer today. Yeah. so <laughs> Yeah, and I drink a beer every podcast. Uh, so a lot of the jamsters are like, hold on. You're on episode 196. That's 196 beers, John. Do you have a drinking problem? I go, no. It's only a problem if you admit it. So... Uh, so, you know, we, we welcome you back. It was the bubble is the last time we spoke. We were getting ready. I think we we're going to the second or third game of the bubble for the Phoenix Suns. We were going against the then number two seed Los Angeles Clippers. And, you know, the Devin Booker shot happened that evening and, uh, over Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. And Paul George. Yeah. yeah, both. It was a double. And here's what I got to ask you. I came up with a nickname for Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, and I proposed it to you, and I didn't, I I just want to know if it stuck, if Leo and Gio ever truly stuck with the Clippers fans. Did did anybody fall in love with that, or did they just go? I'm going to say this is the first time that Leo and Gio has been uttered aloud since the last time we spoke in the bubble, so unfortunately, no, it did not catch on. Oh, Uh, dude, yeah. I didn't like that one either, so no worries. Nobody likes that. Nicknames are tricky. There's It's got to be organic. You got to test them out every now and then. Nothing not, a, ever, not everything sticks right away. Like even, you know, playoff P, he tried it out three years ago and it's only now really coming to roost. So, mm, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And uh, honestly, it started last series with the Jazz. Uh, what are your takeaways from last series? I know for me, even game one and two, when they lost those games, I was like, Clippers still got this. There's just something in them that was going to come out. Utah Jazz are kind of a fragile team to me. But what were your, what were your takeaways from last series? You know, it's funny um, when the Clippers were doing their uh, – seeding shenanigans at the end of the regular season let's say uh, i put out a poll just to see who the clippers fans would rather face in the second round phoenix or utah and the result was like unanimously phoenix which i thought was very surprising because to me utah was a much better matchup for the clippers and i i would think that played out during the second round series when they convincingly beat them without Kawhi leonard over the course of two games and we're we're really in it you know for those first two utah games and then just blew them out of the water in la um, so yeah, I, I'm with you. Utah didn't really seem to me like a uh, mentally tough playoff opponent, right? Like the Clippers cut the lead to 15 in game six and they were already going to the bench like, hey, uh, doesn't look so good for us. And it's like you're 15 <laughs> in game six. It should be okay. But yeah, uh, I just think that the Clippers are really well suited to beat a team like Utah where they like to take away your stuff in the paint and the Clippers don't like to play in the paint. And uh, they have a lot of smaller players on the perimeter and the Clippers have a lot of bigger players on the perimeter. So size was a good advantage for them there. Uh, yeah, you know, just poor Jazz, un- unequipped to handle anything the Clippers threw at them in that series. Just the only thing they had was rest at the beginning. And that's how they got the first two wins. Why Why do you think members of Clips Nation thought the Suns would be a viable opponent? Did anybody have any kind of feedback? Like, why did you circle us? Was it because you went one and two against or yeah, no, two and one. We went one and two against you. You went two and one against us in the regular season. Paul George absolutely shredded us in those two games that you won. Do you think that had something to do with it? I do. Um, you know, the the Chris Paul thing, I think, also looms into this, right? I'm yeah. sure uh, Clippers fans have, uh, you know, a little, I'm not going to say axe to settle with Chris Paul or anything, but it's, you know, not lost upon any of us that Chris Paul has gone out to greener pastures since he left the Clippers and, uh, you know, there's, there's like a score to settle here, right? You know, can the Clippers get to their first finals? Can Chris Paul get to their, his first finals? Like, I just think that the narrative drama here is just like way too much fun. And that was really why I wanted to see this series in the playoffs was just to 
you know, have Rajon Rondo versus Chris Paul for the first time in the playoffs and all of this good stuff. Unfortunately, we're not getting that right now, obviously, with Chris in L.A., probably hanging out with Kawhi and watching film of this series <laughs> as it starts. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> is, yeah they just is the released, next... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, they just released the news that Chris Paul is not, once again, not playing in Game 2, which for Suns fans is frustrating, which is disappointing. Uh, but at the same time, I think... After winning game one, it doesn't hurt as bad necessarily. Uh, I think that game one was vital for us to win. You know, looking at Kawhi Leonard, uh, you know, what are your thoughts on him? And do you think that we're going to see him at all in this series? It's a really good question. The Clippers have been so tight-lipped about what's happening with Kawhi. I mean, I know uh, he wasn't even on the injury report the day before he missed the first game against Utah. Like, no probable, no questionable, nothing like that. All we found out, like, the day I was at, Kawhi had gone to Utah. And then come back to L.A. So he wasn't going to play in game five. And there were obviously reports that the team was fearing an ACL injury, whatever the hell that means. Like, how many ACL injuries do you know that aren't just straight up tears? I think there have been like two or three documented sprains in the last 15 years of the NBA. So mm -hmm. uh, my guess is the longer they go without saying anything, uh, the less likely it's a tear, because that just seems like something that's very hard to hide personally. But I don't think that he's going to be showing up for the rest of this series. Um, probably not even for the NBA Finals should the Clippers get that far. Yeah, and I kind of hope not a little bit. You know, just kind of <laughs> like with Anthony Anthony Davis in the first round. It's like, yeah, that guy, you know, just don't even try. You know, just listen to LeBron. Don't even come out there game six. Just sit on the bench. Um, but with Kawhi, that's a difference maker, I think. But the, the Clippers have played very, very well without him. Uh, but what's, what's the next step for the Clippers? Lose game two, right? They started off every series... Owen oh, too. Is that something just mental you think for this team? Is it something where they like the pressure of being down 0-2? I'm not saying they do it on purpose, but do you think they play better underneath like that kind of turmoil and just, you know, they have to get back in the series somehow and they have to do it now. And that really motivates them in a way. I definitely think the Clippers play better as underdogs than favorites. They do not do well with the burden of expectation. I'm pretty sure yeah. we saw that last season in the bubble. Mm -hmm. And they've basically spent the entire regular season downplaying any expectations that the outside world could have possibly had for them right up until the very last game of the season when they managed to out tank the thunder, you know, in game 72. So yeah, this, this situation of being down in a series, I'm not going to say it's something that they look forward to, but it's definitely something they feel comfortable in. I guarantee you, they do not want to be down to nothing. Uh, two nothing is a lot to have to come back from. They've already done it twice, which is the most of any NBA team in postseason history. Uh, if we just like go back to last year, remember when the Nuggets came back from 3-1 down twice? They couldn't do it a third time. It's very hard to do it a third time. So <laughs> I'm pretty sure the Clippers want to get out of Phoenix with a split. And unfortunately, a lot of that probably rests on the left knee of one Marcus Morris. Yeah, it's interesting how all of a sudden, you know, kind of pregame, there's, there was some talk that he wasn't necessarily 100% healthy. I don't know. Again, I, I wasn't monitoring the Clippers health report as, as you know, really uh, – extensively but I mean he was a big factor he was a big factor in that jazz series in those last two games and him coming out and and you got to remember we're not huge fans of the Morris twins you know here in Phoenix <laughs> it was really nice to put one away in, in round one I'd really like to put one away in round three as well seeing him struggle is one of those things where I kind of it makes me giddy inside uh, just for all, the way that both him and his brother departed Phoenix all those years ago and really set in motion uh, just a, an ex extensive, you know, five year run of just complete and utter bullshit with our team. Uh, but, you know, you have him and I, I like how you said that, you know, the burden of expectation. And it's interesting when you think about that with this team, because now you're led by Paul George, who is, again, another guy who doesn't like to have the burden of expectation. And having Kawhi Leonard present next to him, there's that burden of expectation, if you will, that we're both going to we both have to kind of be alphas on this team to be successful. Now that he's you know, locked in, I'm the defined, the true alpha. We saw what can happen with him. We, we saw how hot he can get. You know, when you look at Paul George, did you ever lose confidence in him? You know, or if if you know, did you gain it back during this playoff run? Where are you at with Paul George? Yeah, that's interesting because, you know, on the one hand, you might think that Kawhi Leonard being out puts more pressure on Paul George because now he is the alpha and the omega of this team, right? Like there's nobody else who's approaching that level of Kawhi Leonard production, no matter how hard Terrence Mann tried in game six of the Utah series, it's no Kawhi Leonard. Uh, but, you know, on the other hand, the fact that the Clippers became overwhelming underdogs at that point and winning was just like not even in the cards for them, it sort of took all the pressure off of. 
Paul George yeah. at the same time, right? Like they winning would just be a, a massive success, whereas losing would have been totally justified. And I think, you know, he did pretty well with that in the Utah series. Like he was terrible the first two games in Utah. I know the numbers show a perfectly fine outing, but those guys were getting in his head. Um, the the push off P chance, I do think, kind of got to him. Uh, and that was a hard place for him to go back to after what had, you know, happened to him the first time Oklahoma City played there when he first joined the Western Conference. So to me, that game five was a real a real maturity point for Paul George. Uh, it's the best I've ever seen him play as a Clipper. He just completely dominated that game on both ends from the very beginning. And that hasn't been the case with PG a lot this postseason. He he kind of, you know, gets a little bit tired as the game wears on. And like, that's not saying that he's like poorly conditioned or anything like that. It's just he's carrying a large load for this Clippers team. And it's hard to sustain that over the course of 48 minutes. I think we saw some of that in game one as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say that he's under like any extra pressure. I think, uh, really like the Clippers are playing with house money here, right? This season is already success because they've made it to the conference finals. Like whether or not they were supposed to get here at the start of the season, this is uncharted territory for the Los Angeles Clippers mm-hmm. as a franchise. So the way I see it, they've already, they've already won, you know, and without Kawhi, nobody's expecting anything out of them. So whatever PG can do, like his, his reputation, in my opinion, can only go up from here. And he's he's really brought it ever since Kawhi went out. Uh, really, ever since uh, Game Three of the the Utah series, like he was he was very good against Dallas too, just not as good as Kawhi, and that's why it kind of looks less impressive in comparison. But like when you got a guy, a guy like Kawhi is putting up forty six points in an elimination game, like it's just hard hard to keep pace with that, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but mm-hmm. Paul George has been awesome, just wonderful like Eastern Conference Paul George, like in terms mm-hmm. of his postseason. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and this is this is a guy like I didn't know if he existed anymore. Honestly, like he, I used to defend him because I thought like Indiana Paul was tremendous in the playoffs, and uh, people would give him a bad rap for how he performed in Oklahoma City when like that that team was kind of a, a train wreck. But you know, there was a part of me that thought maybe he just couldn't do it in the West. But I think he can. You know, it's just he just needed a better situation. He needed his his good buddy Reggie Jackson to be playing his Scotty Pippen to him. You know, yeah, uh, yeah. I I've, I've been very impressed with PG and. Unfortunately, the Clippers are in a situation where he has to be the best player on the court for them to win. And he wasn't that in game one. And that's not because he wasn't good. It's because Book was just really, really good. Yeah. Reggie Jackson, too. I'm glad you brought him up. He has been just a different player. And I think everyone's seen it. He's never been everyone's favorite player, especially when he was on OKC. Even the fans there didn't like him. But now he's like a different player. And I love that. I love to see it. Just like Paul George actually being able to show up in these games is good for the NBA. You know, as much as I want the Suns to beat them and Paul George not to do anything and just make fun of them kind of in a way, you know how we always do. Yeah, let me write that down. You said you said push off P, push off P. (laughs) Let me write that down. Uh, Suns fans, make sure you chant that at the next game. I thought it was really creative, honestly. Like, I was pretty impressed. It was good. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) it's good to have them back, though, for the NBA NBA wise. But um, there's a lot of coaching talk with Ty Lu and how good he is doing this year with adjustments, um, just getting this team to the next level. I think Doc Rivers, of course, you're probably familiar with him last year. Now he's doing the same thing with the Sixers losing the last series. So just how important is Ty Lu? And just, I feel like I don't hear a lot of talk on podcasts about coaching unless it is Ty Lu. I feel like he's getting a lot of love. And it's just, what is the difference between those two? I mean, this year, he's making the adjustments, of course, to going down 0-2, but then they come back and win, just opposite from Doc Rivers. Is there anything that really stands out about him? Because I've been hearing a lot, but I'm interested to see what you have to say about him. You know, I think Ty's demeanor just really reflects with the rest of the Clippers. He's so even keel. Like, he does not get too high in one direction or too low in the other. He is completely smooth sailing no matter what is happening. Like the Clippers went down 0-2 to Dallas, losing the first two games at home. And Ty Lue's in the press conference saying like, postseason is my happy place. Like this is what I like. I love being in these situations where you have a challenge and you have to, you know, figure out how to adjust to an opponent. Like this is the stuff that I live for. And yeah. I'm not gonna lie, I thought it was like a bunch of horseshit, but uh, this that's what he does, right? This is legitimately Ty Lue's happy place. He loves the playoffs. I know he sort of has gotten a reputation as a guy that was just like carrying LeBron's water in Cleveland. And that could not be further from the truth, right? Like this is a guy who figured out how to legitimately break a Clippers curse. <laughs> like, yeah. um, you know, they, they were down 25 points to Utah in game six in the third quarter. And 
won that game going away. Like they won that by 12 points. That was not like a close game by the end of it. And he has found a way to empower his young players. You know, Terrence Mann, obviously I brought him up earlier. Just what a performance, right? This guy is a second round pick. Doc Rivers is trying to make him a point guard last year. I think he was playing the five for most of the game against Utah in game six. Like Ty has figured out how to unlock the very best version of Terrence. I mean, obviously Luke Kennard has been a little bit more of a mixed bag, but he's had really big moments, especially against Dallas in the first round. He was really good in earlier games against Utah. I'm sure he'll have a moment in this series against Phoenix because he's just a really capable ball handler, extremely confident shooter. And Zubac too. Like he's just been a much more confident version of himself under Ty Lue than he was under Doc Rivers, which is crazy considering Ty benched him to start the season. And he's still been better for Ty than he was under Doc. So, you know, that was constantly a source of criticism for the Clippers under Doc was like, they were never getting anything out of the young players. You've got three guys age 24 who are, I understand that's not very young, but like for Clipper standards, it's like incredibly young. This is like, (laughs) you know, (laughs) generation Z top we're talking about for the Clippers. And um, and then, yeah, just like that ability to never be down, right? Like we talked about how, you know, the Clippers blew that 3-1 lead last year against Denver and you could just feel it like starting to crumble even when they were up double digits against Denver in each of those games. Like one mm-hmm. bad play would happen and the the air would just like leave the building and that doesn't happen anymore, right? Like they're in these adverse situations and they just find a way to keep coming back. Like I think a lot about this game that they played against the Hawks earlier this season, which you know, at the time didn't seem that special because I mean, it was the Hawks. We're talking about the Eastern conference finalists Atlanta yeah, Hawks, true. and they were down 22 points in the middle of the third quarter. They basically take out the entire starting lineup, Luke Kennard, Nick Batum, uh, Rajon Ron, I'm sorry, Lou Williams come in and just like completely change the momentum of the game. And Nick has said several times, like he thinks something special was born that night. And I really do believe that that was sort of a, a a tipping point for them to realize like, Hey, we're, we're never really out of this. Like, even though we're down one, nothing here, Marcus, maybe her Kawhi's out. Like we still got a good roster of players. Like we can throw into Marcus cousins for a few minutes and not everything terrible is going to happen. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, I just think that that sense of belief wasn't really there with doc. Like I I've been watching these press conferences with doc, with the Sixers and like, whew, belief is not something that is coming out of them. You know, no. like, before game six, my guy Doc was saying, like, I think we have it, but I don't really know. Like, who says that? <laughs> yeah. Someone well, to motivate his team, I think. But honestly, like, if you look at Ben Simmons, his face is just like, I don't have it the whole mm-hmm. time in the last game. So it's tough for those players when they don't have a coach, I guess, that believes. But, oh, yeah, well. And it's, it, it, <laughs> it, you know, kind of to your point, Sabrina, it's a culture thing. And mm-hmm. Ty Lue brings that, and he's done it in the past. And the Clippers, as an organization – so often they've fallen victim to those moments. I mean, you go back to even when the Suns played them back in 06 and there's kind of some of those oh shit moments. And you have when they blew that uh, playoff lead with, with Chris Paul and Blake Griffin, you know, in the crowd watching on TV, you could see those moments where the, the, the team had given up on itself. And it looks like with Ty, Ru- Ty Lue at the helm, they're not playing that game anymore. And kind of, as, as you mentioned, that game against Atlanta, that was almost like, the Clippers version of the Orlando bubble for the Suns, whether it was, it was galvanizing Mm -hmm. to where they're like, hold on. Like it's us against the world. You know, Deandre Ayton said it recently in an article. It's like when we were in Orlando, we realized we weren't swimming with the sharks. We were the sharks. And it's a mindset that comes from the top. And and if it's not being downloaded into the players, this sense of belief, then you're not going to have it. And you see that doc just took that right over to Philly And it's like, well, I hope we win, you know, but we could lose. Like, I mean, it's the most vanilla answer to say, whereas you have, as you've mentioned, you know, ties in these press conferences, like this is my happy place. This is where I want to be. This is where we can be successful as a team. And to see them do it twice now. And, you know, again, as Suns fans, obviously, we're we're very excited uh, to win game one uh, with especially with CP3 being out. It's very vital to get that game. And given the fact that we've won eight games in a row now in the playoffs, everybody is so hyped up and it's like, you know, we're unbeatable. It's like, go back two years ago, Suns fans. Remember, <laughs> seriously, like winning in the NBA is hard and this is going to be a very uh, complicated, complex series against a very viable opponent in your Los Angeles Clippers and adjustments are going to be the key. And that's again, if, as you see Ty Lue and how he's attacked the first two rounds, he's had to make those adjustments what adjustments do you think he'll make going into game two, 
knowing that there's no CP3 now and again, no Kawhi Leonard. I'm just uh, mentally recovering from the memory of the 2006 conference yeah. semifinals. I'm just thinking of my job in the corner. Holds Daniel Ewing. Uh, just, oh, um, okay. Sorry. Just Sounds like you need a drink. Okay. I'll never forget that. Daniel. Ewing. Like, Why was he in on that play? I'll never know, but Hey, thanks. Thanks buddy. Thanks. Dookie. I'm going to, I'm going to go to my oh, grave. You're a, you're wondering a dookie, about aren't you? I am. Yeah. And he was a dookie, right? Yeah, but this was pre me being a dookie. So, okay, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you same. showed up and changed everything. <laughs> I, I changed everything, yeah. <laughs> Kicked Coach K to the curb, you know. <laughs> um, anyway, adjustments, yeah. So I do wonder what's going to happen if Morris is unavailable, if the Clippers will still be able to start small. Um, I, I think if Morris isn't ready to go, they're going to have to play Zubac in the starting lineup just because they don't have any perimeter players with size who can like legitimately – hang against that Suns lineup, uh, which would kind of suck. But I also think that this is a series where Zubach can kind of hang, you know, um, Devin Booker doesn't really hunt switches the way that some of their previous opponents did. And uh, if he's going to run pick and roll, like there's just a natural hiding place for him on DeAndre Ayton. Uh, I do also think just having a body on Ayton so that he can't run up numbers on the offensive glass like he did at the start of game one might not be such a bad thing. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, aligning more zoom minutes with Aiden, I think, wouldn't be awful, you know, even though the Clippers have found such a strong identity playing small. Like, there's there's a path to Zoo getting meaningful minutes in this series. Um, more zoom minutes on Aiden also means no Cousins minutes on Aiden. Let's just stop doing that. That was a really <laughs> bad idea in game one. Cousins on Sarich, by all means, let the man have his fun. Uh, <laughs> please, please do not play DeMarcus Cousins on DeAndre Aiden. It's, it's bad. It, that's all I have to say. It's just bad. And uh, <laughs> let's the less we have of that, the no. better. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I agree. Uh, I agree. Yeah. Well, Fabio the, asks in the chat. He goes, well, yeah, "What, if, say, what, what if Marquise Marquise comes in and replaces Marcus Morris?" You know, I've, you I've know? thought about this a lot. Uh, it could I, I've written extensively at Clips Nation about how Marcus's uh, shooting percentages rise when Marquise is in the building. Um, I'm actually starting to think that it's not Marquise. It's a product of Thomas Robinson being there, but I got to run the numbers again um, <laughs> because Thomas Robinson was not in Phoenix for game one. If I remember correctly, there was some other dude sitting next to Marquise. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I'm i of the belief that that did happen in that Boston series back in the day. Like, no one can convince me otherwise. So... I, mean, I, I believe you too, and I I think they have this process now. But before every game, they check the birthmark just to make sure <laughs> it's the right Morris twins. You know, so. it's a real problem that they don't have identical tattoos anymore. There are actual ways of discovering it now. Yeah. So ever since yeah. they had the kids, they have different tattoos, which is just a bummer. Um, but yeah, <laughs> setting aside playing Markeith, which I mean, you guys watched the first round of the playoffs. I don't know how much help Markeith Morris would be in this situation. None. Uh, yeah, that's I mean, why we wanted we looking, to play. Yeah, are we looking at in. like a Patrick Patterson situation here? Uh, <laughs> that's who you know played when the Clippers were short of big during the regular season. He has not sniffed the court during the postseason. Uh, mm-hmm. Probably a good reason for that. Uh, he is about as good of a defender as Demarcus Cousins is at this point of his career, though maybe slightly more mobile. I don't know. I do think the Clippers might have to whip out some zone in Game Two just yeah, they, to they save went into the, it a little bit. Yeah. I just think to save the the bodies of their guys because they're running a little low on minutes. Mm-hmm. I mean, just like um, I mean, their guys' minutes totals are coming a little high, so like they're just running a little low of guys who can play minutes is what I should say. So maybe some zone that might uh, make Boogie a little bit more reliable on defense if he doesn't have to move at all, you know. Uh, so yeah, that's that's something we might see. I I think the most important adjustment though is like what they do with Book because uh, they were treating him like he was Donovan Mitchell. And it's just not the type of player he is, right? He doesn't want to pull up into long range threes. Like he has healthy ankles. He will go downhill on you. He likes to be physical. Um, and he's just going to walk into those elbow pull-ups right from the mid range that the Clippers were willingly conceding because they were trying to run off the three point line, which I get it, but like book is not the guy who's just going to ring threes on you. I mean, not that he can't, he just doesn't. Right. So I think them being more disciplined in their game plan on how they defend book is going to be, tremendously helpful because i honestly just think like 36 hours after playing utah they didn't have time to get like a fully coherent game plan so they're like you know what lead ball handler let's just throw in some similar principles here and see how it works and it they made him way too comfortable matthew go ahead john oh okay my next you can go yeah you're up that's the last question okay so yeah last (laughs) question it's kind of like i brought this up before a little bit but this season flying under the radar a little bit because last year i mean there were favorites right out of the gate 
to win the championship. I assume they were, right, if I remember correctly. This year, I feel like no one's really brought them up as a contender. Is that something that really helped them, you think? Because honestly, I think that might have helped them a little bit. Of course, they went down 0-2 in each series, but maybe just that least amount of pressure added to them just helped them in this, I don't know, in in this playoffs. But it, it couldn't be that. It could be something else. But I just was thinking today, I'm like, that might have been the reason why they actually have a chance to win the finals this year. No, I mean, we talked about this earlier, right? Like, I do think that they like being the underdogs better. Uh, it's pressure is a lot. It's it's hard to handle that pressure. And, you know, because of their offseason when they lost uh, Montrez and they lost Jermichael Green and they mm. replaced him with Nick Batum, who no one really had any expectations for, but yeah. who's been maybe their best defender in this entire yeah. postseason, which is a crazy thing to think. Uh, yeah, they, they kind of were flying underneath the radar and – they also did that by, you know, having some funky stretches during the regular season where it was easy to say, oh, same old Clippers, like they couldn't score at the end of the game against Milwaukee. They blew it against the Nets, you know. Oh, my God, they lost to the Wizards heading into the All-Star break. Like, how could we ever take the Clippers seriously? I'm not saying that was by design, but I do think it definitely helps that, you know, the Lakers occupy so much oxygen and Denver was coming off that high run. And like, oh, everyone wants to talk about Chris Paul now and Utah is running away with the conference. Like, uh, them not having to be the favorites absolutely helped just in terms of like not having to deal with that on a regular basis. Like every time somebody asked about last year, you could just see like their faces fall, you know, like nobody wants to talk about that anymore. Nobody wants to be that team. So I, I do think that, yeah, like them coming into the season with a little less pressure, which I think was wrong. I said at the beginning of the season, I thought this team was better constructed for the playoffs than they were a year ago. And I feel very justified in that opinion. But um, for whatever reason, you know, losing the sixth man of the year makes it seem like you're not as good of a playoff team when what championship team ever ever has the sixth man of the year? Like, that's just not a thing that happens. No, you're right. I mean, last time we had one, we didn't win championship because we've never won anything. (laughs) Uh, You know, I mean, we've asked you a bunch of questions. Is there any questions you have for some Suns fans who haven't been to the playoffs in 11 years? Yeah. Okay. So what was the <laughs> darkest moment of the last 11 years? <laughs> oh my gosh. Matthew, do you want to pick um, one or should I go first? There's so yeah, many. Actually just, well, thinking about it now at the time, it seemed like it wasn't too dark, but right now when I'm thinking about back in the day, a couple of seasons ago, when you're watching Marquise Chris and Dragon Bender, you're hanging on every single play by these guys to see if there's any kind of potential, anything to get us to maybe the playoffs, someone that can play along uh, Devin Booker, you know, help this team win. When I think about that and just me laying in a dark room somewhere, either my bedroom, <laughs> my living room, wherever, wherever it's dark and watching that game, rooting those guys on, that's the darkest place I've ever been to. And I honestly, if there is a purgatory or even a hell, that'll be me whenever <laughs> I do die. So that's exactly where I'll be watching Bender and Chris. Like, oh, did you see that one play after yeah. the last two, two months? Yeah. Bender had a great pass. Wasn't that fantastic? There's promise for this guy. No, I, I'm, I'm with Matthew there. I think the long list of point guards, you know, because you got to remember when it comes to Phoenix, we're a franchise that's used to having high quality point guards. Kevin Johnson, you know, Jason Kidd, Steve Nash, Stefan Marbury in there. And then all of a sudden you're just Isaiah Cannon and Mike James and, you know, a bunch of guys who are just rolling out there who just like is not helping Devin Booker. Uh, and, you know, I think one of my darkest places was the whole drama around Eric Bledsoe when you know he tweeted out that he didn't want to be here you know they had just literally like the first two uh uh, games of the season I forget what the stat was but it was like they scored 10 points in the first quarter in like consecutive games games and got blown out by 40 to start the season it's like after all the excitement and hype that goes into a season you're like okay here's a new product they package this together I'm looking forward to watching this it's like opening up a Christmas present and it's just like two huge dog turds and next thing (laughs) next thing you know Eric Bledsoe's gone coach is gone you know and it's just and then you know it uh it just yeah. it was a perfect personification of the last 11 years. I mean, there's so many different points. There's the whole Markeith and Marcus uh, drama where they're calling out the organization. And, and when that kind of thing happens, it negates any opportunity for success in the team's long-term future because the culture around the NBA is don't go to Phoenix. They don't treat their players yeah, well, yeah. you know? So yeah, you're, you, yeah. you know, and, and you're getting pennies on the dollar in both Bledsoe and Marcus Morris, it was pennies on the dollars because they were no, they held all the leverage relative to trades. So mm-hmm. it's not, you didn't even get anything back. I mean, Eric Bledsoe, who'd he get? Monroe, what was his first name? Greg Monroe. I think I got like Brandon Knight. 
No, Brandon Knight we already had because we had we had. Yeah, that was before, I think. Yeah, we had like twenty seven point guards then. That's back we had when all we, the knights. We had Brandon all yeah, Knight, we, Brandon Knight. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, it was just we got nothing back in return. So well, it's, oh, so yeah. frustrating. In in happier point guard news, I do actually want to know what the hell happened to Cameron Payne. Like, where did this mm. come from? Monty this Williams. Is, yeah, this is culture. Again, we go back to culture. Cameron Payne is somebody who has a relationship with Monty Williams, who is probably my, you know, it's it's early to say. It's obviously his second season here, but he's probably my favorite head coach in Suns history because of the culture and what he's done to really turn this around. You know, Paul Westfall was great back when I was a kid, did a great job with that team. But I mean, by 95, everybody wanted him out of here because they just couldn't get past the Houston Rockets. He made some bad coaching decisions. Uh, Mike D'Antoni, everybody really liked because he was that running gun. I'm going to change the the NBA, but he ran his players into the ground. You know, you talk about coming back from 3-1 or down 0-2. You know, you go back to some of those series where it's like a, a seven-game series, a seven-game series. So by the time we have to play this, the San Antonio Spurs in the Western Conference Finals, we're so beat into the ground. He's like, no, we're only playing seven guys. So I was never a big fan of him. So then you have Monty Williams who comes in here, and he just, you know, you, you talk about saying the right things. He says all the right things. He develops this culture with this team that is just impenetrable. And then you have Cameron Payne come in the bubble last year and just look amazing. And, you know, this guy's a cast off. He's the guy who was drafted in between Devin Booker and Kelly Oubre. And, you know, you look at that draft class and there's also Frank Kaminsky in the background. It's like the entire Suns team at one point, <laughs> it, you know, and and he had promise. He, he you know, had some, a couple injuries, was playing overseas, playing in the G League. And there's a couple of really great pieces on Bright Side of the Sun about his journey and how he you know when he went to the g league and played for the texas i forget what their name is texas revolution legends. or something legends there you go the yeah. texas legends how he realized he's like listen i have to ball out every night i don't care what uh you know how, how many people are in the crowd what the outcome of the game is gonna be like i just got to put it all out there on the floor because this might be my last chance monty williams gives him a call he shows up to the bubble he plays out of his mind and that was one of the main concerns coming to the season who's going to be the backup to chris paul because we saw a bubble campaign, but we don't know if that's going to translate to the season. And he continued to bring that energy and was instilled with uh, empower, excuse me, uh, empowerment by Monty Williams to be that guy. I don't need you to be Chris Paul. I don't need you to be a distributor setting high pick and rolls and trying to pick apart an offense. I need you to be Cameron Payne. And when he got that level of empowerment uh, and was a part of this culture and a part of this team, he just has continued to blossom. So it's been... It's been a hell of a journey seeing him here, and it's, he's exactly what this team needed. And you can also throw James Jones out there too, because honestly, yes. executive of the year, James I, Jones. Yeah, at the at the trade that deadline was too. So cute at the game when I didn't had, even get to see that yet. And honestly, oh my gosh, it's adorable. Yeah, I, like they they basically just told him that his kids were going to be there for a Father's Day presentation, and like they turn around the jersey and it's his executive of the year. It was oh my oh god, my god, it was great. Well, well done, sons. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, he he honestly, and one thing at the trade deadline is. Who are we going to get rid of to add better pieces? He didn't do anything. He has a lot of trust in these players. Of course, we had a Chris Paul over the offseason, got rid of Kelly Oubre and Rubio. But besides that, you're going to do that. Any executive, any any GM is going to make that trade. But he believes in these guys to, to come on the court, to do their job, campaign. If you can, you can see it on his face, too. He doesn't want to leave the floor ever. He exhausts himself every night. And that's just something they believe in, man. I think that goes a long way, especially when you see like the Celtics, um, Danny Ainge, you know, what he did with that, with that team, just shredded it to pieces over and over again. Now he's out. So I think he just believes in these guys individually and as a team. And that goes a long way with these guys, I think. Yeah, I mean, that that was my question going into the season, too. It was like, are they going to use Lance and Galloway there? Is that like an Etuan Moore place? Are we going to mm -hmm. get Javon Carter? Like, I I did not yeah. buy the campaign hype, uh, but that's it's too – I mean, it's it's remarkable. Like, the way he balled out against the Lakers when Chris Paul got hurt, <laughs> and it's just been a nonstop train for him, like, through Denver and now. Uh, or it's the, the Suns have won eight games in a row, right? Um, mm -hmm. Longest winning now, streak of the season. And they won eight games in a row to end last season. <laughs> Yes. Um, famously. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> wow. I didn't even think about that till now. Yeah, me neither. Uh, let's see. So, I mean, I mean, obviously you guys aren't like giving scouting reports here, but like what, what, what worries you about this team? Like what weaknesses do you see that, mm. you know, you thought somebody might be able to capitalize on? Because like, I thought that the Lakers had some ways of dealing with the Suns. Like, you know, that 80 at the five lineup was interesting, but I don't see how the Clippers can match that. So yeah, like, I mean, what, it... what weaknesses do you like 
do you worry about anything with this team? Or are you just thinking like, oh, let's book our tickets to Milwaukee slash Atlanta? Yeah. For two you know, from now? that's actually a really good question because honestly, I'm going around my office right now and saying Suns are going to win the championship this year. I've never been this confident in the Suns team ever. I really have not. Mm-hmm. Uh, all respect to the Clippers and you, of course. But this team right now, they're what it's always been size. I mean, the Lakers, then of course the Nuggets. What are they going to do with the size? There's no backup to DA. But it's like now it's like teams have to adjust the Suns in a way to DA. Of course, we don't have the backup center you've seen Saric he presented himself in game one in a way against you guys I'm sure you love to see him more on the floor but he we, he's like a backup center or else we have Frank Kaminsky so it's a size thing for sure other than that that's it really I'm very confident what this team can do every night uh what do you think John I mean it's size but what else am I missing is there something else well, I mean, yeah, size is obviously the big one. And when we were tasked with having to play the Lakers in the first round, that was the, you know, kind of the instant, just like, oh, shit, typical Suns. We have a great year. We get to play the Lakers who just have big man after big man after big man. And mm-hmm. at the trade deadline, a lot of Suns fans were really frustrated because James Jones didn't make any run at getting that additional big man because Dario Saric has a small ball five. Frank Kaminsky has a backup five. Just it wasn't the answer. Uh, but in, instead, about a week prior, we went and we traded for Tory Craig. And, you know, for cash considerations, famously around the Valley, cash considerations went out the door, uh, which we obtained essentially for TJ Warren and go ahead, go ahead and, you know, replace those funds with Tory Craig. And then it worked, you know, somehow, some, some way it worked that I think the, there, there's a couple things that scare me and, and it really comes to fruition when I look at the Clippers uh, three point shooting. You know, we're 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 a really good defensive team. It's weird to say defense and Phoenix Suns because it's not something that you ever have really said. Going back to seven seconds or less, they're an offensive team. They're going to try to beat you, you know, run you off the court. But when you played teams like the San Antonio Spurs, they would shut you down. We can play defense now, but I there's still no defense against a team that's going to you know chuck up 45 three pointers a game. And if they shoot them at such a high clip like the Clippers do, you know, that's 21 to 23 three pointers made. That's, you know, 60 plus points right there just off the bat. And that's what the Clippers are going to do. And free throw shooting. I think that, you know, you have the best free throw shooting team in the league. We have the second best free throw shooting team in the league. But the challenge that the Suns had all season was they weren't necessarily good at getting to the free throw line. You know, they averaged about 18 a game, uh, you know, you, you look at the playoffs thus far, and I feel like we're having a better opportunity to get to the free throw line, but it's still not where I want to be. You know, we're, we're currently averaging pulling up, the you know, 20 free throws a game. So we jump from 17 a game to like 20 a game. And I feel like if we're not attacking the rim and getting to the line, that's unbelievably valuable in the playoffs, having the ability to get to that line, especially in the last five minutes. Now it's one thing again. I think that they've made some adjustments on. They've been they've been more in attack mode, getting to the line and doing strategic fouls, especially in the Denver series. Chris Paul was an artist at knowing and understanding when the team was in the bonus and just drawing those fouls. Those fouls that I've hated for 15 years with him, where he gets those ticky tacky <laughs> little fouls, and you're like, "Come on, man!" But it it played in our favor, and you saw it last night against the Clippers in Game One, where Devin Booker was doing the same thing with about 6:40 left in the fourth quarter. You were in the bonus, or I'm sorry, the Suns were in the bonus. They put the Clippers in that uh, awkward situation where it's like, okay, if they foul us, we're going to the line. The next play, Devin Booker drew a foul. foul. And I think that that's going to be what the recipe for success is for this team. From uh, a defensive standpoint, I just think that we're deep. We're a deep team. I mean, Etwan Moore, uh, I wrote a piece for Bright Side of the Sun today. Etwan Moore is probably not the answer if Chris Paul's not playing. I think we need to see more Javon Carter because Reggie Jackson just has that lateral quickness. And literally, like that was a Ty Lue adjustment in the middle of the game. He saw Etwan Moore was out there. He came out in the second quarter and he Reggie Jackson's like attack him. And he was it was mm-hmm. right around him, right around him. And then he hit a three. It was like just like that. He gave up seven points to Reggie Jackson alone and nine points to the Clippers overall. So, you know, there is some uh with CP out, there is some uh guard opportunity for you guys uh because you're gonna have size and you know if you play that five out ball you'll be able to take advantage of our backup uh point guards and uh i mean those are the two main weaknesses i really feel with this team yeah for me um it's really just a matter of if the clippers can defend the suns because i think they'll be able to score well enough you know i thought pg and uh reggie like you said did a really good job of uh just finding matchups that worked for them whether that was more whether that was pain even um, they hunted Booker a lot, which did not work as well as I think they thought it was going to work. But um, there's there's enough 
matchups that I think Paul likes. It's just that requires a lot of work, you know, to just continue to bully your way to the paint every single time, especially when you're the best perimeter defender on the other end now that Kawhi's mm-hmm. gone. So, well, yeah, and, to and me, it's, so it's a defensive question. Yeah. And you're, you're in LA. What are your thoughts on Devin Booker? Because, you know, we've, we, you mean Kendall Jenner's boyfriend? <laughs> yeah. That guy, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, but he is, but, some people have Bibles at their house. Like everyone here that's like photo albums of Booker in Phoenix. Like yeah. they love this guy. They have for years. <laughs> you know, it's ride or die with Booker. He's never said the wrong thing. He's always been like, yeah. I want to bring this team, this city a championship. Although Stephen A. Smith might go on ESPN and say he needs to go to New York. It's like he's never hinted at that or anything. Draymond Green said it too. <laughs> he, he did it too. Yeah. Everybody says it, but it's never come from Booker. You know, from the outside looking in, what are your thoughts on Devin Booker relative to his development and who he is in this playoffs in his first playoff run? So honestly, I did not give Book much thought for the first three years of his career just because it was hard to give the Suns much thought, you know. Um, I I apologize, you know. It's okay. okay. There's there's a lot of teams in the league, you know. This isn't like the W where I could focus on all 12. Like, you got to pick and choose when there are 30. So, uh, you know, I do think that once he made the All-Star team last year, it's sort of when I started paying attention because – making the all-star team in the West is just like a freaking gargantuan effort. Like nope, nobody makes the all-star team in the West. You've got like nine legacies and then everybody else is just fighting yes. for a spot. So that to me was really the turning point when it's like, okay, well let, you know, I, I knew he could score. Obviously he came out of Kentucky with this like perfect jump shot. And I, I sort of had it in my head that he was a shooter, right? Because that's what he did when he was in college. And mm-hmm. even though he's excellent shooter, like that is not his game at all. Like, he just does such a good job of getting downhill. And, uh, that that's really when I started falling in love with his game was in the bubble. Like, you know, he hits that shot obviously over the Clippers. Um, it's, you know, much bigger deal for him than it is for the Clippers, but you know, yep. it is what it is. Uh, <laughs> and it's just hard not to notice everything he's doing, right? Like he's, uh, there was uh, this one play in the bubble where I noticed that like, you know, Aiton gets a stop on one end, like a block. And instead of, you know, book pushing the tempo and getting an easy fast break bucket when like the floor was clear for him to do. So he waits for Aiton to run the floor so that he can re-reward him, you know, with yes. a bucket on the other end. And I'm just like, okay, well, these are the kind of things that like show that he knows what he's doing, right? He's not just gunning on the court. Like he knows how to run a team. And like, I, I do believe that he would have naturally made that progression anyway, but it's just, unbelievably helpful to have a guy like Chris Paul who takes care of all the little things so he can just be the off ball guy, obviously. Uh, But in LA, I mean, I mean, we love our celebrities, I got to tell you. And there is a storied history really of the Kardashians elevating NBA careers in Los Angeles. Like Lamar Odom was never the same after leaving Chloe. So uh, it's, is he alive still? Yeah. Lamar Odom. (laughs) He is. Okay. Yes. I don't know. He's usually in a parking lot, like laying down somewhere. It's uh... (laughs) damn brutal. I'm just saying. I mean, it could have happened to us too, John. It could have happened I didn't to date, us. Well, I didn't we, date we, got, we got the, We got no. It, Booker affects us truly. He he does. Yeah. No, so. I I do think that there is a genuine love for Book in L.A. Honestly, because he's got cool. you know that the Mexican blood, right, which definitely runs deep in Los Angeles, and uh, he is got the celebrity in him, which we respect. You know, it's it's hard to carry a celebrity and perform on the court. Like, that, those two things don't always run hand-to-hand. Hand. Usually one goes a little lopsided in the other direction. Yeah. So, yeah, Book has been very impressive. Um, like I said, you know, the Clippers made it a part of their game plan to attack him on defense at the start of the game. And they had, what, 21 points in the first quarter? Like, it was not working the way they thought yeah. it would. Um, I do wonder if they would just be better served by, like, attacking Aiton more often. And, you know, spreading him out a little bit, making him try to defend on the perimeter, which really didn't happen even when they were playing small. So, yeah, you know, I, I would say all the respect for Book. I mean, like, especially from, like, the Lakers side of things, like what LeBron called him the most disrespected guy in the NBA, like, that that actually holds weight in L.A. I definitely think mm-hmm. so. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, his game is so, you know, it, it's physical. He has the ability to back down. You know, he's six foot five, six six on a good day if the hair is really poofy. And the, <laughs> the way that he can back down and plays that physical game down on the block is another aspect of his game that not a lot of people necessarily uh, respect or notice. And as it's been really fun to see the national media kind of be like, oh shit, this guy. Because you got to remember, he's made the all star team twice, but never was voted onto the team. He was a replacement for Dame Lillard last year, and he was a replacement again this year. So, you know, I think all those little things kind of uh, fuel him to just be the best version that he can be. And I, and one thing that I do love in this series is he's going to have the opportunity to return to the house that Kobe built. 
because he, you know, I mean, he went off in game six against the Lakers. And as he's walking off the court, oh, it wasn't that insane. Like, we've never seen two things that have kind of been like a running joke with Devin Booker through the years. It's like he could never get past six made three pointers in a game. For some reason, he'd made six like eight different times, but never got to seven. And he's never had a career or a triple double. And in that game six, he had like, nine made threes or eight made threes and six of he them in the first quarter like the alone first quarter yeah 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 it was fantastic and then he has he has the triple double yesterday so it's like all these things that we've been like come on book you can do it. you know there's meaningless little things that you kind of notice as a fan he's putting together in this playoff run which is just unbelievably impressive i'm really excited to see him on team usa honestly like i oh, yeah. on that he yeah. already committed even though he's planning to play until like july 20th anyway yeah yeah <laughs> so, uh yeah that that should be fun He's going to be doing some recruiting for us after CP, you know, goes off into the pasture and is making TikToks with his kid back in LA. So any, any other sons related questions? What, want to talk about some more of our miseries? No, no, <laughs> I, I, uh, I'm a little sorry that I started there. I just, you no, know, no, it's I, fine. I, no, I also, we live there. I also we like to get in, you know, historical misery. Like this is what the Clippers occupy. Yes. This is our lane. Yeah. Obviously, you know, we've traded that back and forth for a little while. So it's nothing personal. It's just I, I generally like to see what what brings fans back, you know? <laughs> it's our What's colors. Like, you know, yeah. purple and orange. Only Clemson has them in other sports. Like, no one has purple and orange. I don't know why they are what they are, but that's why we come back. The gear is really cool looking and unique. Looks really good on a starter jacket. The Valley jerseys are excellent. Um, oh, you I like often them. say okay. that I think the Clippers have the set of jerseys in the NBA. Like it's basically just a Brooklyn East, Brooklyn West situation going on yeah. where we've exiled the colors and we don't even have the cool court to go along with it. So, yeah. uh, you know, I think about like those earlier uh, Clippers Sun series, right? Like, and the, the beautiful red jerseys that the Clippers used to wear. And it just makes me sad that we've gotten rid of that color from the palette. But yeah, yeah I like, no. I like the Sun's colors. It's, uh, it's, yes privilege to watch honestly <laughs> it's totally opposite now because i love the the valley jersey but back then when we were actually in the playoffs with steve nash i hated those jerseys i didn't oh, like yeah, any of them maybe the, the white one ehx with the purple on them yeah it's yeah. just ugh, i don't like them but right now i mean we're going to, we're going towards a good trend i think uh, after these valley jerseys so again it's the culture thing the culture has changed here in phoenix they were the valley boys when kelly Oubre came here and that was kind Poor of their kelly whole bubble Oubre. run yeah they literally <laughs> yeah. had a photo shoot fighting, with dude. him they released this jersey, and two days later, he got traded. No one like, would have looked as good in the photo shoot as Kelly Uber no. in here to tell you. Not you even should, Book. He can do whatever he wants, dude. Yeah, <laughs> you, you can go back and look at the marketing materials, and it's literally like him, a white horse in a rhinestone. Like it's uh, gorgeous. They, it was a. It was. Beautiful. I don't even forward through the tsunami poppy commercials. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah he got those commercials, one. dude. Yeah. <laughs> He does a great job with his style. So that's the one thing we took away from him. He's a <clears throat> a hard player. Or he he really battled for us too. And it did suck for him to leave, but he's he he's still a good player. He just he's on a good team. You know, Ricky Rubio is probably in the worst situation right yeah, now poor, poor in his Papa career. Ricky. You know, but Kelly, he's still got he's still got a hill to climb, but he can get there. I, I believe in that guy. Monty's offense just does wonders for wings. It's really easy for them to find places to succeed. Like Cam Johnson looks wonderful here. Not to say that he wouldn't, but like, you know, the way Kelly Oubre mm-hmm. looked here, he just doesn't look the same in Golden State. So uh, I, I do think that just the way they spread the floor and the advantages you have with like such elite guard play and mm-hmm. a diving center in Aiden, like it just makes it really easy for wings to work. Uh, so I'm, I'm sure he misses that, but at least we have the promotional materials, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and when Chris Paul comes back, you're really going to see, as you've seen kind of throughout the playoffs, like that high pick and roll opens up so much with this offense that it's it's so different right now having Book run. And that's the advantage of Book suffering through those first five years of his career where we ran him as point Book for like two and a half years because we just didn't have any point guards. So he learned how to become a distributor. And trust me, I used to dog on him for the amount of turnovers he used to put forth on a nightly basis, but that was all started part of the learning process. That's paying dividends now throughout this entire uh, uh, postseason run. And it was really came to fruition yesterday against the Clippers. So, you know, I guess I got to ask final series predictions. What do you got? You know, um, I thought the Clippers are going to win this series. Uh, even without Kawhi. Um, I did think they would lose game one just because that has become their MO and it was just such a short turnaround. 
you know, with the Utah series, uh, I, I just wonder why they couldn't have had like game seven yesterday and have the Clippers yeah. and Suns start on Monday. I guess well, it's you, that it, it, sweet it, national TV money on a Sunday afternoon slot. But like even then, put the game seven on the afternoon and put the Clippers on the evening. Well, but, yeah. And, and yeah. we're going to have two games done before the Eastern Conference even kicks off. Exactly. Like that uh, doesn't, you gave them three days off. You gave the Clippers 36 hours. It just doesn't make any freaking sense. Um. So I, I do think that there are some like inherent schedule advantages that have worked in the Suns' favor. And like, you know, credit to them. They swept the Nuggets. They did what they were supposed to do. The Clippers like dicked around against the Mavericks. They shouldn't have. So uh, you, you get what you pay for, right? Yeah. Um, if Marcus Morris is hobbled, I just don't see a way that the Clippers are going to win the series. They just don't have enough uh, wing depth, in my opinion. And so that, that kind of concerns me. I still think that the Clippers are going to make them work. I'm thinking like Suns and six at this point. Oh, are you being yeah. honest? You're not just saying that, are you? To get back on the pod? No, no, later I, on? I really <laughs> 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 it took me a full year to get back, guys. I got to be nice. I, last time I was predicting hey. that the Clippers were going to yeah. blow away the Suns, and I was hell wrong. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I no, said going I, into I the am, series with Suns and six too. I I'm just, a little think... worried about the depth, just a little bit, and you know, already mm-hmm. without Ibaka, which I feel like we just forget about now which because is he hasn't huge. played. Yeah, because he would have been a great big to switch around yeah. a little bit. He's a yeah, guy just, that I wanted on the Suns, for sure. Yep, Didn't we too. all? <laughs> Save the offseason for the Clippers. Um, but yeah, that's it's just sort of where I fall. Like I, I got really concerned seeing the way Marcus played on Sunday in game one. And if he's not, you know, like the twin that we saw in like game seven against Dallas or just hitting any threes, right? He went 0 for 5. He couldn't even close the game. Then I think we're in a little bit of difficulty here. Well, we'll see. I mean, it's going to be a long, tough series. Uh, I don't discount. The thing that is, again, tough about the Clippers, you lead the league in three-point shooting, which you get hot in a game. That's a game right there. That's a win. I mean, they put up 20 in game one. Yeah, 20. It's still lost. I know. I know. (laughs) Go Suns. Go Suns. Yeah. But still, (laughs) it's you know what? We've sucked for so long. It's so nice to just win basketball games. But it's it's you have the same thing that the Suns have is you have wings, which I think are so valuable in this league and you can stretch the floor and you can do a lot. Of, it's while some teams are playing checkers, you look at the Sixers, you look at the Bucks. Those are teams that are kind of playing checkers because they're interior. They're like, okay, we have to score at the rim. Uh, we got a little bit of three point shooting around there, but it's really got to kind of be at the rim. I mean, I'm actually more scared of the Hawks. If we were to play the Hawks or the Clippers <laughs> would play the Hawks, than the Bucks. Yeah. I really am because they're a team that, I, you know, I think you're going to retract that statement at some point hope, in the very near future, John. Dear but God. We'll, dear we'll God, I hope when so. when we come to it. <laughs> exactly. I got to cross that bridge beforehand. But still, I think that the way that the Clippers are designed and with that leadership of Ty Lue and, and his ability to show that he can make adjustments, this is going to be a tough, drawn-out series. But I do think that it is going to be Suns and Six. So we'll see. You know, mm-hmm. uh, at, at, Regardless, after the series, no matter what, whether we win or lose, we will have you back. We won't wait a year. We'll have you back on. And a couple more questions before we get out of here. Okay. So you're in Arizona right now, right? It's correct. What I'm did, in Chandler, Arizona. Chandler, Arizona. Okay. What did you think when you got? Did you drive out here or fly? I flew. Okay. So it what was did a you really think? Really short when, turnaround, guys. Oh yeah, no. I've, I I grew up in LA. I used to come back here all the time because I have yeah. family out here. What did you think when you got off the plane and you felt that heat? Because you got here you know, a couple days ago when it was like a buck seventeen, that good one seventeen. So I got to the airport and I get to my gate and everybody else is wearing shorts and I was wearing stretchy pants because I get cold on the plane and I immediately regretted it. Just like <laughs> I should have just sucked it up for the hour and change that I was on the plane. You know, uh, it just it just sticks to you, you know, like uh, it's not as bad as humid, humid. I can't stand like I was Agreed. in Florida two weeks ago. Yeah. I, I can't deal with it. Um, this one, at least, you know, you just like down some water and you feel a little bit better like uh I can't even count the number of water bottles that I've gone through in like the last day and a half. It's crazy. Get that Pedialyte. You ever try Pedialyte? <laughs> it that's works. What I, yeah. That's what I drink out here in the summers. Good to know. Yeah. Good to know. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. I'm six years old. <laughs> <laughs> I used to think of that as like a hangover cure. It is, but yeah, it, is. it helps when you get older out here in the sun. It helps me a lot. So okay. just saying when yeah. you're dying, when you're dying, just be like, ah, I wish I had a Pedialyte. You're gonna regret oh my it. God. If I end up coming back for game five, I will keep that in mind. Yeah. Okay. And and again, yeah, don't wear the stretchy pants on the plane. Cause I mean, it is, <laughs> you know, everybody always likes to say, well, it's a dry heat. I'll tell you what, my oven's a dry heat and I don't hang <laughs> out in there on pants. the weekend. <laughs> yeah. I still, I'm in shorts when I hang out in my oven. You know, I don't wear the stretchy pants. <laughs> so, uh, and are, are there any other questions about just Phoenix in general? Why we got you here? 
You know, I actually spend a lot of time here. You've got family. So uh, I'm here, you know, every now and then. Uh, it's it's just uh, one of those trips where I probably won't be going outside that much unless I'm at the Phoenix Suns Arena. So, you know, <laughs> take it for what it is. <laughs> I'm trying to think if there's any good, like, recommendations that I can give you in Chandler, Arizona. Downtown Chandler is actually pretty fun. Matthew, that's where he always likes to go for his birthdays. So there's some good spots down there. But again, yeah, there's a great Peter Piper down there. Yes. Okay. So, yeah. Yes. You, you, get, get Pedi- you get Pedialyte you the, after you, yeah, you, get the your P- you got the Pedialyte. You got, you got the games. You got the cheap pizza. Sometimes goodie bags. Depends how good you are. It's always tough this time of year. It's like you can't really go out and do anything because it's too hot. And you don't want to drink because the, the worst thing to ever have in the summer is a hangover. I don't know how mm-hmm. I grew up doing it when I was like a teenager slash 21 year old. The things whatever. that you can do when you're 20, it's insane. Unbelievable. <laughs> Go to work drunk the next day. <laughs> like that was a thing. Yeah, that was a thing. If I did that, if the, if I did that now, I'd be, I would be fired. I'd be passed out somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, probably in a parking lot like Lamar Odom. Yep. And with that, (laughs) on that note, again, we thank you, Sabrina, for joining us here on the Suns Jam Session podcast. Would you like to let everybody know where they can follow you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You can follow my work on Twitter at Sabrina JM. I'm covering this series on the Clippers perspective at ClipsNation.com. And if for some reason you have any Mercury fans listening to this, I have a cool WNBA sideshow, a YouTube show called The Step Through. So Google that and watch us every week. Heck yeah. Just really quick on the WNBA, I feel like they're really coming up. You know, they try every mm-hmm. every year to get more fans involved. And I think this is like a breakthrough year. It, it really feels like it. And I mean, do you, what is the difference? Just really quick, because I feel like, I mean, Skylar Diggins, she's doing the, the post-game I, shows and I pre-game love shows with the Suns. But like, there's just more of a face now to the WNBA. Of course, we had Diana Taurasi here, mm-hmm. but no one used to really go to the games, but I feel like they are now. I think it's really picked up. Do you know what the difference is? You know, I think it's just exposure. Like it, it used to be so hard to watch a game on television, and now you've got so many more on ESPN, easy mm-hmm. to find on like CBS and all these yeah. channels. Uh, really, like I remember growing up wanting to watch the Sparks, and it was easier to go to downtown and watch a game than it was to pick them up on my television. And Okay. Like now it's just they're available to watch and it's a good product. So if it's on TV, people are going to watch it. That's simple as that, huh? what it is. Yeah. For my simple yeah. ass. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> right. You simple. And, hey, and I got to say, <laughs> you know, you talk, you talk a little bit about the Valley jerseys. Those new Phoenix Mercury jerseys are insane. They got the PHX, you know, they have the X for the X factor. Cause that's what they call mm-hmm. all the fans for the Mercury. Exactly. They look amazing. And again, you know, you got Diana Taurasi, Brittany Griner, you got, you got three uh, Olympians Sky- on your team. Yeah. 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 And yeah, Skylar's now one. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, she's been doing a lot of post game shows with the Suns local and she just hearing her talk ball is just fantastic. So that uh, clip where she broke down, like how Chris Paul runs the pick and roll. One of yes. my favorites. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So again, that's a, you know, a great uh, opportunity for people who are listening to the podcast. Make sure you follow Sabrina there for a, a lot of quality content. So on that note, we're going to get out here, get out of here. Uh, again, you can follow our show at Suns Jam on Twitter. You can follow me at Darth Voida. You can follow Matthew on Twitter. Uh, Matthew Lissy. And on that note, Matthew, got anything else for the folks to say before we get out of here? That's it. Thanks, Sabrina. And everyone go home and love your family. <laughs> <laughs>